And so Jeremiah was called to call forth God's people to not just live and wait for uh, a future day where God would come and restore all things, but in that moment to seek the welfare of the city. We believe that the gospel motivates us. It compels us to engage the world. We believe it calls us to cultivate cultivate and keep and make better. We don't believe that uh, fear motivates. We don't believe that guilt motivates, but we believe that the gospel compels us to be sent into the world. And so over the last few weeks, we've been looking at this, this phrase, gospel human flourishing. It's like a diamond. We've looked at different angles so far. We've looked at uh, how our, our vocation has called us into the world to cultivate and to keep. These last three weeks, we've looked at biblical justice and considered what does the Bible teach us about justice. And this morning, we're going to talk about lament. I believe that lament is a key ingredient for gospel human flourishing to take place. I'd love to begin here. <clears throat> May 13th, 2015. Alex and I had gone through a, a significant time of infertility. Um, we had uh, our oldest son was now turning three, four, five, and we were uh, unable to uh, get pregnant with another child. And that brought a lot of frustration, as you can imagine, you potentially have been there, or maybe you are there now. And so we got pregnant, uh, and we were ecstatic, as you could imagine, coming out of a, a long period of time of not being able to, to get pregnant. And so we went into uh, Alex's 20-week uh, ultrasound check to do what you do at the 20-week mark. And so we were so excited that we did the, the gender test early. We found out it was a boy. We named him Theo. We were all in super excited about this gift of God to us, Theo. That's what his name meant. And so we went into the ultrasound room, the tech's doing what the tech does, and the room got quiet. We began to realize that there there sounded like there was something wrong in the silence, and, and she told us that the baby's heartbeat had stopped beating, and we lost little Theo. Alex had to go through the process of delivering him on May 14th, just this last Friday, was his birthday. He would have been six years old. <clears throat> he taught me a lot. Man, that little kid, I, he was just 20 weeks, her second trimester, but he taught me a lot, and one of the things he taught me is about the gift of lament, the gift of lament, a gift that we need to learn if we want to walk through the pain of this life, and if we want to be an extension of Jesus in the world. Call yourself fortunate if you haven't experienced the pain of lament. Frankly, as a whole, I would say that we haven't done a good job as the church to teach the church about lament. But, but if we want to seek gospel human flourishing, we need to learn about the gift of lament. Gospel lament understands a lot about the world. Again, it's tethered to this word gospel, the good news of God sent to us through Jesus. And it tells us a lot about where we came from. It tells us a lot about why there's a fracture, why there's pain, and why there's sorrow. It tells us a lot about who our hope is and how we navigate this life until the day when he slays the dragon. We learn a lot about this life through the story and lens of the gospel. And it allows us to enter into sorrow and pain. Sorrow and pain that we might have experienced personally. And the sorrow and pain that our neighbors experience. Lament has the potential to bring significant healing to our world. So let's begin with some definitions. 
Uh, lament, I would say, is a biblical way to process grief, sadness, and sorrow. It gives us the opportunity to face and name our pain and then to create space for future hope, all without glossing over tragedy. The goal of lamenting is to direct our sadness, to direct our sorrow to God, which positions us in this posture that leads us to transformation that God can offer to us in the midst of sorrow and pain. The Bible, as you read through it, you find that it's chocked full of, of both praise, this balance of praise and lament. But in the Western world, Western traditions, we major on praise and we mute or silence lament. We don't do sadness. We do positivity, right? We see sorrow as a sign of weakness. We look down upon that and we are trained to get over it. Maybe you even heard that growing up. In the Western religious culture, lament is nowhere to be found. It feels messy and so we avoid it entirely. Somewhere along the way, we were taught that sadness and sorrow was a sign of immaturity or that God was frustrated when we find negative emotions, sadness or pain or disorientation. But again, the Bible gives us a different story. We open up the Psalms and there's 150 of them. David wrote a bunch of them and over 50% of the Psalms have lament in them. Because a majority of the Psalms have lament. Every human motion, ranging from joy and celebration and justice and sorrow and worship and repentance and all of the sorts. There's a book called Lamentations. Lamentations, right? And so the Hebrew title is Eka, which is how. It's a, it's a cry of disbelief. You go through and you find that, that the writer is writing in response to Jerusalem being taken over in the destruction in 586. So how? It's this cry of disbelief. Job, the book and this life that we know of, is filled with sorrow and filled with frustration. Yeah, he experienced a lot of loss in one day, and oftentimes it's a lifetime where we experience sorrow and difficulty along the way. And then we get to Jesus. One of the first things he says is, Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed, happy are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Jesus, in this dark moment in his life, a few times we find this, and in John 11, he's found out that his best friend, Lazarus, had died. He didn't stuff it. He didn't say, get over it. He was the redeemer. He is the dragon slayer, yet... He wept, and he felt the pain of the sorrow and difficulty that's in this life. Jesus is known as the man of sorrow. He is. The gospel teaches us that this world will have trouble because of sin, because of sorrow, and because of death. And lamenting is how we walk through this life, to find healing both personally and corporately. And so Psalm 13 would be one of many examples that we can get to. And we're going to look at Psalm 13 today. It's a psalm that David wrote, and I'm going to read it to us starting in verse 1. David says this, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul? And have sorrow in my heart all the day. 
How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. And then verse 5, he says, But I've trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. So David writes this, he pens this on papyrus or some kind of uh, old school paper and he pours his heart out before God and he questions God, how long, Lord, will you forget me? There are a lot of psalms that we know of the direct moment when they happened. We have a connection between the narrative of his life and the moment of the psalm. This one, we don't have that. And so we have to guess a little bit. It's a a moment of pain. It could have been when after he was anointed to be king when he was 17. And he wasn't actually king until 30. So there was a 13-year gap where it seemed like God's promises weren't happening. You can imagine age 27, age 28, age 29, a decade's now gone by. How long, O Lord, will you forget me? Maybe it was the moment where Saul, who was the current king, was chasing after David to kill him. You guys can relate to that. Um, And he's chasing after him. He's hiding in a cave. And again, there's a lot of connection between your life and his. And so he's hiding in a cave, trying to make sure he's spared from King Saul. And then Saul passes, David becomes king, and now David's child becomes an adult, and his adult son's name Absalom. And now Absalom goes 2.0 with what Saul did, and he now chases after David to kill him. And so maybe in one of those moments, how long, Lord, will you forget me? You know, he's both raw and authentically embracing pain. And him saying, how long, Lord? David feels abandoned. He feels disoriented. He feels forgotten. There's an author by the name and scholar by the name of Walter uh, Brueggemann. And he uh, wrote a book called Praying uh, Praying the Psalms. And he says that that we all find ourselves in one of three places. The first is orientation. Orientation where life is smooth. Things are going well. It's kind of what you want. It's contentment. It's stability. It's order. Everything seems to be at peace. The the next uh, space in life is disorientation. It's a place of disorientation, and, and when we feel we have been sunk into a pit, we feel pain. We feel sorrow. It's moments of disarray. It's moments of confusion, of pain and difficulty, sickness and need disorientation. Some of you are here now. And the third is reorientation. Place of reorientation is when we begin to feel God lifting us out of the pit, beginning to feel a level of hope that we didn't feel in disorientation. It's a renewed sense of perspective with regards to where God is. Maybe a bad situation turns for the better, or provision happens in a hardship And David experiences all three of these. We likely have and or will experience this statement, this question, how long, O Lord? Maybe for some, it's sickness that you have or sickness that a family member has. Maybe it's a a betrayal in relationship that you have felt. Maybe it's a, a loss. 
Maybe it's a, a betrayal or, 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 sorry, a straying of a child that's now grown up and gone wayward, feeling the how long, O oh Lord. Maybe it's getting let go from your job. Maybe it's a dreams that you had for yourself or for your future that feel like they're being squashed right before you, and you have that cry, how long, O oh Lord. See, the way we respond to disorientation is this gift called lament. Lamenting is the spiritually mature response to sadness and sorrow. Again, lamenting is the spiritually mature response to sadness and sorrow. I would bet if uh, many of us have been discipled to respond to sorrow and disorientation in one primary way. It's called stuff it. You heard of it? It's called stuff it. We kind of keep it down. We got we to gotta be the right person in front of the right people. You got to wear the mask. You got to pretend. You got to stuff it. We're trained to get over it, right? That's what we're taught growing up. Maybe your parents or guardians taught you, get over it. Stuff it. Maybe you even tell your own kids that. That's what our culture tells us. You lose your job. Get over it. You, uh, a tragedy happens in your life. Get over it. Experience pain in your life. Get over it. See, sadness and sorrow not dealt with will resurface in different areas of your life. See, when you stuff sorrow, it's like trying to submerge a beach ball under the water. So imagine, it's June 20th, it's now gotten warmer. You're now at a pool, and you've now bought a 24-inch beach ball, right? Can you go there? Can you use your imagination enough to go there with me? Okay, great. And so you've now blown it up, you forgot the pump at home, okay? And so you've had to blow it up so you're a little bit winded. And so you've now blown up the ball, again, 24 inches, we're not talking 12, these are 24-inch balls that we're talking about. And you jump into the pool, and you have a pretty good grip. Again, imagine with me, you might not be able to get around, you're squeezing pretty tight, there's, there's not any kind of lubrication on the ball, so you're, you're holding on, it's not going to slip out from you. And you jump in the pool, and you go belly flop in the water, the ball, what's it going to do? It's going to turn you up rather quickly. That's what happens. And in the same way, when we stuff, and when we stuff, and when we stuff, that junk comes to the surface. It comes out in anger. It comes out in resentment. It comes out in bitterness. It comes out in all sorts of way, ways. But nonetheless, it will always surface. It can surface in anger or frustration or and self-medication, trying to hide or numb ourselves from certain things. And maybe that's because you haven't dealt with the sorrow and the sadness and using the gift of lament to bring those things to God. The alternative to stuffing is to lament. Only, lament, only lamenting will lead to transformation when we lament our problems, they don't get fixed, but it gives us this pathway of transformation where the, the God of grace meets us, the man of sorrows meets us and brings healing to our lives. Again, lament is a biblical way to process grief, sadness, and sorrow. So in Psalm 13, we find this disorientation. How long, O oh Lord? And then in the same song, psalm, we find reorientation. It's interesting. It goes from sadness to trust. I don't know if you caught it, but in, in verse 5, there's this shift from David in this space of disorientation to this space of reorientation. How did this happen? How do you go from how long, O oh Lord, to I, I have trusted in your steadfast love? 
from verse four to five, it's like David's a different person. Maybe it's a, a mood swing. Maybe he's hangry. You've been there? Maybe it's medication. Maybe it's a religious front. He's, he's pinning away, crying out to God. But then someone shows up into the room with him. And he's got to switch it on. And, but, but God, you're still good. He's got to pretend like he's not lamenting. Likely not the case. Something has happened. And maybe it's because he was just lamenting that enabled him to reorient his heart and mind back to God. It doesn't fix the problem. But in the midst of disorientation, it gives us a path where we can trust God again. You know, we need to learn to lament. And here's the broader point related to gospel human flourishing. And this matters much. If we don't learn the gift of lament, we will not be able to lament with others. If we don't learn, if you, if I don't learn how to lament, how to deal with sorrow and pain. When you approach or encounter someone who's dealing with sorrow and pain, you will do to them the very same way you do to yourself. If you tell yourself to stuff it, then you're gonna broadcast that onto them. And we'll never find healing for our neighbor if we're not able to first recognize that lamenting matters to us, that we're invited to lament. We'll never be able to provide that level of healing to someone Else, to provide a level of hope to someone who's dealing with sorrow. In Romans, we find a, a lengthy letter that Paul wrote to the church in Rome. And in the first 11 chapters, he goes in depth when it comes to the gospel, what it is, why it's so marvelous, why it's so beautiful, why it's so um, transformative for us. And then it gets really practical in the last four chapters. And in chapter 12, there's that shift that takes place. And one of the things he says coming right out of the a gospel declaration of the first 11 chapters is this, mourn with those who mourn. The call of a follower of Jesus is to be able to enter into someone else's mess, to bring healing and hope to them. What the text doesn't say in Romans 12 is to mourn with those who agree with you. Mourn with those who are aligned politically with you. Mourn with those who have an ideological similarity to your own ideologies. That's not what it is. It's mourn with those who mourn. See, when we enter in, when we listen to others, we can hear the stories of another and provide the presence of Jesus to them. Because the reality is this. Life can be cruel. Life can be painful, and we as followers of Jesus are invited to enter into another's mess. It's a profound thing. I don't know if you've experienced this before. It is a profound thing to be met in your grief by another human being. It is a profound thing for another human being to enter into your grief and find healing from that to see gospel human flourishing, we are responsible to be able to enter in in a posture of lament for those who experience pain in life. And this is how God treated us. He treated us the same way. The gospel makes God unique to any other religious perspective, any other religious figure. It is, only, uh, it is the only religion whose God has suffered that we find in the Bible. Jesus is the unique God to all other gods who's actually entered into suffering and pain and sorrow. In Jesus, we find the God of the Bible as one who has mourned. In the God of the Bible, we find the one who is a man of sorrow. 
And we get to experience restoration from him. And likewise, we are an extension of him into our world, to enter into the world of another. See, he entered into our sorrow to bring healing to this world, and we are invited to enter into the pain of someone else. So back to Theo, my little buddy. We experience two very different responses from people. The first response that we experienced from people was the embrace of those who lamented with us. It was as if someone wrapped their arms around us just by lamenting and entering into the grief that we felt. Some of you, even in this room, were that for us. It was so healing. It didn't fix anything. It didn't bring Theo back to life. It didn't fix the, it didn't fix the, the, the mess, the sorrow that was that, but it brought this healing. It brought this hope just having someone sit with us. No answers, few words, maybe just sitting or maybe a card, but embracing the pain of our humanity, saying, I'm sorry, saying, I I hate that you're experiencing this, saying, I'm praying for you and actually praying for us. You know what I'm saying. I'll pray for you, and boy, did I not pray for you, but actually praying for the people that we say we're praying for Um, To say, I'm here for you. That was one response, an embrace of lamenting, mourning with those who mourn. Man, we also got the stiff arm, what I would call the stiff arm of Romans 8, 28. It's this posture that God has a a plan for you. God's going to work all things for good, and that's true. Yeah, sure, that's true, but that's not the right timing. And just a sidebar encouragement, I would recommend this isn't the first, second, or third thing you say to someone that goes through sorrow, even though it's true. The first thing is just to be a human with them and to mourn with those who mourn. It it avoids sitting in someone's mess. And, And in the name of avoiding, we end up saying stupid stuff. And we heard some stupid stuff from people in that time. None of you in here, but it's true. <laughs> we too quickly try to give answers. We too quickly try to give like the scripture that we need to give, and we don't enter in. Jesus entered in. He entered in when Lazarus had died. He just, he felt it. He felt it with Mary and Martha. He felt it. And we're invited to do the same. That's what I'm trying to say. See, friends, this world is hard. This world isn't fair. My boy Luca this morning, he, all the fourth and fifth graders got donuts, and guess who didn't get a donut? <laughs> Luca. It's not fair. Ask my four-year-old. It oppresses some and not others. This world is hard. And as the church, we're called to be Jesus, to enter in to someone else's mess to enter into someone else's sorrow so that we can reconcile, so that we can heal, so that we can be a space for those who are feeling it. See, when we suppress our sorrows, we will more likely suppress someone else's sorrows. But when we're able to enter into the sorrow of life, and life will make you bleed, if we're able to enter in and allow God and his grace to shape and bring hope to us, it enables us to enter into someone else's mess. See, gospel human flourishing enables us to get messy with someone with the gift of lament. Maybe this will help. 
You might have heard of Gregory Joseph Boyle. He is the founder and director of Homeboy Industries, the world's, uh, it's real, the world's largest gang intervention and rehabilitation program. Uh, And so there's a story of a dude who Gregory worked with. His name was Cruz, uh, who was trying to get out of a gang life. And so Gregory, the founder, writes a story about Cruz, and I'll read it to you. It says, Cruz spent his last dollars, Gregory says, spent his last dollars taking a Metrolink train 60 miles to uh, Los Angeles from San Bernardino where he had relocated his lady and newborn to avoid the dangers and desperation of his previous gang life. He had a part-time job, but could not get his boss to get him more hours. Now he sits in my office, rattling off a list of the pressures and needs of his family with no safety net in sight but me. He speaks of no food in the fridge, no lights, landlord looming, no bus fare. When he finishes his breathless account, Cruz stops Shaken and exhausted, he grows teary-eyed and says quietly, I just keep waiting. And Gregory says, for what, son? And Cruz responds, for the, first, for the last to be first. See, your story isn't the next person's story. God's story isn't our story. He existed perfectly in and of himself. And what did he do? He incarnated. He entered himself into our story, into our mess to provide hope and healing. And man, the gospel motivates us to do the same, to enter into another story, to provide hope and healing, regardless of ideologies, regardless of political bents and preferences, not to fix, not to get your agenda across, but to enter in. That's what we're invited to. If we want gospel human flourishing, and I pray that we do, we have to be able to enter into the story of another as God's entered into our story. Again, this is not about guilt. This is not about fear. This whole gospel human flourishing series is around the gospel motivating us, leading us by grace to be a people that we never could have imagined we would be, not because of guilt or fear, but because of the way that God has so lavishly given himself for us. Life's painful, the world is cruel, and we are invited with the hope of Jesus to enter into dark places as he has for us. So as I close, just a few things for us, and we're going to have a a, a time where we're going to pray a a prayer of uh, lament. But I I just, as I was praying this morning, I, I did sense that there might be some who, you just wonder why you find yourself angry or self-medicating. And maybe you're that beach ball. Maybe you've suppressed and suppressed and suppressed. You lash out in anger. You lash out with bitterness. You, you self-medicate in different ways. And maybe, maybe in God's kindness to you, he's not waiting for you to reach out. He's extended his arm as the man of sorrow and says, meet me. I want to meet you in your mess. You don't have to just pretend like you have it together. I know you don't. But to enter into that space and and feel sorrow from years, decades ago, I don't know what it is, but to enter in and know that God isn't just a God filled with positivity, but man, he entered into our sorrow and he can actually bring healing in those places and spaces in your life. And I invite you to to go down that potentially scary path to know that he's with you. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil because you're with me. 
It's true. It's not just a cool catchphrase on a coffee mug. It's real. He's the shepherd, and he's with us. And if that's you, I, I invite you to, to take that seriously. As we close, I, I want to pray this prayer of lament with us. It's going to be a lengthy one, and so you can read it. I just want to feel these realities. It's okay to have negative emotions. It's okay to experience sorrow and sadness. And it's, it's good to know that Jesus did and he's brought hope through it. We know there's a day where he's going to come and he's going to wipe every tear. We know there's a day that's going to come and he's going to slay the dragon. You know, a day is going to come and death and cancer and sickness and dementia, they're going to be in our rearview mirror. There's a day coming and we look towards that day as we walk through this life with hope knowing that he's with us and he won't forsake us. I'd love to pray this with you. It's gonna be on the screen. It'll be lengthy, but read along with me. Father, we come to you just as your son did with our griefs and sorrows over the difficult things in our lives. We are grieved over the loss in our lives, losses of unborn babies, of friends, family members, and dreams. We grieve the injustices that have haunted us and persistently press on the bruises we have from living in a broken world. We are sorrowful over the relational difficulties that have plagued our lives, marriages that have been wounded by broken trust, addiction, insecurity, and anger, over the strains of caring for aging parents, over the desire for a spouse whom we haven't been given. We are exhausted, Lord, and are often don't understand. We also are sorry, exhausted by the physical and mental troubles we face, anxiety, depression, disease, and disability. We grieve it, and we confess that sometimes we struggle to see where you are in the midst of these things. And in all these things, Lord, we also acknowledge that many of our trials have been consequences from our indulgence to sin. We've sought other lovers, and they have betrayed us. Our sin makes us miserable. We often feel trapped in it. And as we feel, have, sorry, we feel filled often with disappointment and sorrow, we don't grieve as those with no hope. All of it has been borne by the ultimate grief bearer on our behalf. Because of his atoning work, we experience salvation amidst sorrow, but also trust that one day all our sorrow will be wiped away when Jesus restores our broken fellowship. We have great hope because of him. So we submit ourselves to you just like Jesus, trusting your goodness and relying on your spirit when we are exhausted. We don't just believe in you. We believe you. We believe you when you say that all things you give us are for our ultimate good and mysteriously for your glory. Help our unbelief. Strengthen us. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, we submit our lives to you. The good, the bad, the ugly. Thank you. You don't just say you'll never leave us or forsake us when our life's good. But even in disorientation and sorrow and pain, lament, you are with us. And you have the power to meet us in that space and bring healing. And so I pray that you bring courage to some of us who need courage. Maybe it's going to see a counselor. Maybe it's taking a step of confession. Whatever it might be, God, I pray you'd guide us there. In Jesus' name.